I was thinking, listening to the kids and watching them watch Jolene. I, I don't know how you are, but uh, I don't like preachers. I really don't. Never did learn that from a mother, get tired of them. Uh, most of them are very pontificating and arrogant. And, and I hope I never come across that way to you. If you do, please uh, catch me at the door or drop me a note or a phone call, 513-309-4278. Because that bothers me a lot. It really does. I've been thinking all week about these kids. I remember when I was their age, it used to bug me that the older people pretty much said, you're welcome here, but you got to do it our way. You got to sing our songs, come and we tell you to come. And I kind of rejected that. I didn't like their music. I didn't like the way they dressed. I didn't like the way they interacted. I don't know that I liked anything about the old people, to be honest with you. And I hope we don't come across to them that uh, we're here for us and not for them. I, I chose uh, a scripture this morning that's dear to my heart. There's a family that's been on my heart all week this week. This African-American family in Indianapolis climbed on those ducks down at Branson. When I drove a bus, we, we used to run Branson. We had eight buses in Branson every week. I can't imagine losing nine people in a family just like that. I can't imagine how you would, you would work back through that. And they interviewed that one mother and she said, uh, she first of all was thanking God for the rescue workers who grabbed her. But she said, I never saw my three children again. I can't imagine that, I really can't. Jolene was right, we all have a story to tell and a story to share. <laughs> Some of them are kind of fun. Just before I uh, come up this morning, uh, I come up here, and my wife said, can you believe this? Celia actually bought a Volkswagen convertible. I did. <laughs> and Celia said to her, don't tell him that. He'll tell the whole church. <laughs> and I said, Celia, trust me, I won't say a word about it. But I often think about Celia. She knows what loss is. She really does. If anybody had to uh, teach a class on it, she could teach a class on it. There, there's, there, everybody's familiar with the feeding of the 5,000 in the Bible. We've watched all that flannel graph stuff. Incidentally, thanks to Dallas, thanks to Dallas, my wife is going to do 
Jonah and the whale in VBS. Guess who beats to be the whale? <laughs> she first said to me, do you think it's okay if I help Dallas in VBS? Notice how things work. I said, well, I think it's a great idea. She said, uh, I said, what's he going to do? She said, well, he wants me to do Jonah and the whale. I think it'll be fine. She said, can we go to Lifeway Bookstore and get a book about Jonah and the whale? I said, it'll be perfect. So we did. Then she said, would you mind helping me? She said, no, I'd be glad to help you along. <laughs> going to be in this room downstairs and, and uh, then I got up enough nerve to say what do you want me to do <laughs> so it probably ended up being a whale <laughs> two stories of feeding of large crowds in the Bible the feeding of 5,000 y'all know we watched that in VBS and Sunday's going anyway Betsy the wedding was beautiful yesterday absolutely beautiful I love the things. I love what the preacher did. I'm going to plagiarize him a little bit. He, he quoted out of the first chapter of Genesis where after God did everything that he did and he said it was good. And then God, remember, he said there's one thing God said it's not good. I love that. Never, never, never put it that way before. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew and Mark, however are the only two that talk about the feeding of the fourth house. And there have been a lot of smart men, much smarter than I, through the years, have tried to make those one feeding. You know, they try to slide it together. You can't do that. There's two feedings there, any way you look at it. But I want to point out something to you this morning that maybe, maybe might help you a little bit. thing they also have been thinking about, I wonder, since we're all here together and we're all friends, who could walk in the back door this morning and sit down beside you that you wish weren't here? Now think about that. Somebody who's extraordinarily rich or somebody who's extraordinarily poor? Maybe someone who's African-American or Asian? Or maybe someone who just don't think like you or maybe somebody who's committed with this newer concepts today of the transgender person or a lesbian or gay. I wonder who could walk in the door, sit down beside you. That would cause you to get up and leave. Let's look at the Bible and you can either go to Mark chapter 8 or I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 15 because I feel a little bit lazy today and only takes eight verses to tell the story. In Matthew, it takes ten verses in Mark, so we'll go to Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 15 will be verse 32 and following. And I want you to see something in this and learn with me. I had a professor in Miami one time who said, Don, don't ever get into this trap of thinking that anybody can teach anybody anything. All you can do is create an environment where we learn together. We all learn by stories like that little tiny story I told you about Celia getting the Volkswagen convertible. It begins when we're these kids' age, the little ones over here on the floor with little Bo Peep has lost her sheep and she don't know how to find them. Remember that? Leave them alone. They'll come home wagging their tails behind them. We raised a lot of hogs, Wayne, and I always liked the three little pigs. And that was my favorite. I loved it. My mother had, tell me the story of the three little pigs again. It's just a fable. 
it really kind of gross when you think about it. <laughs> and, and I was trying to relearn the three little pigs this week myself. With a PhD, you got to learn some things every day. So I was trying to relearn the, the three little pigs, and, and I was reading, and there were one little pig built his house out of straw, and one built it out of sticks, and the third one built his house out of bricks. He was an Advent person from Lone Star Creek Church. That's an Advent pig is what that was. And along comes the wolf. And the wolf said, little pig, little pig, let me come in. <laughs> and I used to run around the house when I was real little and say, yeah, not with the hair of my chinny chin chin. And then the wolf said, or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And he did and ate the pig. That's a terrible story when you think about it. Well, they modified, they modified a little bit and said the first two little pigs ran over and got in the brick house with the Advent pig from Lone Star. But, but I'm talking that complimentary. So second little pig, the straw, little pig, little pig, can I come in? Not with the hair on my chinny chin chin. I'm picking this up okay? Over here with this spaghetti thing on my right. I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And he did, and he ate the second pig. Now the score is pretty bad, two to one, by that translation. Then he comes to the little Advent pig, and he says, little pig, little pig, can I come in? And not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. And I like this. The Advent pig was had a big pot boiling in the kitchen and stood it under the chimney in the this is a good sermon when you think about it. And, and the wolf came down the chimney and landed in the pot, and the little pig put the lid on the pot, and the three pigs ate the wolf. That's a gross story to think about. <laughs> we expect kids to listen to that. But then there's Black Beauty and Little Women. And then we graduate to Roy Rogers and Jean Autry. Get up to Gabby Hayes, and we older people have Red Skelton and Amos and Andy and some of those names, and all the way through today till we have Magnum P.I. and Hawaii Five O and all those things that we adults watch, and even the 11 o'clock news ends up telling story after story after story. It's all Jesus did was tell stories. Don't think he ever taught a lot of theology. He just told stories. Makes it easy, Wayne, when you think about it. Now, there's feeding the 5,000, we all know. They're all on, let's call it the good side. The Palestine side where it was 99% Jews, just like us. And let me lay one little truth that I've, one of the things that I've learned in the ministry after a long, long time in the ministry. Most of us like a church that's just like us. <laughs> we all look alike, sound alike. Taste alike, speak alike, act alike. But somebody who's not like us usually has a hard time fitting in. In all of my ministry, the most vibrant, growing, successful churches that I've ever been in, some of them as many as 7,000 people, and some of them have dug as many as 10 or 15 people, the most successful were those who were diverse, who really met but said on the signboard, everyone welcome. And every one of them had a mixture of colors and races and beliefs and convictions. And somehow that pleases the Lord. You know it's got to please the Lord because John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, that takes in a lot of people. 
So the feeding of the 5,000, you know the story. Jesus identified that there was a little boy there, and he had how many loaves? Five. How many fish? Two. Now remember that. Five. Two. And he fed the whole crowd miraculously, and and the apostles, they didn't care much for it. They did too big of a dinner on the ground thing for them. And he picked, they picked up 12 baskets. There's a key in that word basket. It helps a lot to know what words mean. They picked up 12 baskets. And then theologians get all excited about, we're going to define what that 12 baskets are. They don't know, so why guess? They just picked up 12 baskets. If you find a quarter, I found a $10 bill the other day. My wife's trying to find it. But I, I found a $10. We, we have this little thing where if we find a coin, a penny or a nickel or dime, we, we write down in a little book, scotch tape it in, where we found it. And it's amazing how much money you find. You see, I found a $10 bill. It's killing her. Absolutely killing her. She's here, incidentally. Forget that story, then a little bit later, Jesus is somewhere else. He's in a place called Decapolis. That's important, remember. Just a big old word, Decapolis, D-E-C-A-P-O-L-I-S. Deca means tent. Polis means cities. So it's just a country of ten cities. But the ten cities were made up of about 99% of the people who were heathen, who were rough, who were rugged. The countryside was terrible. You can read about it. You don't take my word for it. And the Jews didn't like him in Decapolis, did they, Doug? They didn't care for him at all. They hated him. There was a scant number of Jews in there, but they were pagan, and it was just like if God told you, what I want you to do is to go to the place that you hate absolutely the most and spend some time there. Bad section of town with a group of windows and alcoholics or drug addicts with the roughest people you've ever been in. Or send somebody 65 years old and over to hang around with a bunch of millennials in a bar somewhere. That would really be hard for them. And we find Jesus taking the apostles to Decapolis. And the beautiful thing here is he's doing the exact same thing there that he did over on the other side. He's healing, he's delivering, he's saving them from the perils of life that they're in. Come on in, Eric. Excuse me, I'm going to talk to Eric just a minute. Good to see you, guy. Got one question, where you been? That was a question. I need an answer out of this. I'm just kidding. I love Eric. He eats a lot at the Hardee's over in town. If you see a red pickup truck there, it's going to be Eric or Dale or Joe or one of them. <laughs> There's Jesus where he didn't want to be. The Jews didn't like it that he was there. In fact, when he came back across to the other side of the lake, first thing the scribes and Pharisees did say, we need a sign for you. I hate those arrogant, self-centered, smart aleck. Oh, I'd love to be able to use four-letter words here, but I can't do it. And uh, I wouldn't do it if I could, but you know, just the way it is. They were terrible. They were making fun of him because he had gone somewhere with somebody that they didn't like. Ever have that happen in your life? You can be my friend, but you have to like who I like. You can be my friend, but you've got to hate who I hate. 
And if you don't like who I like and you don't hate who I hate, you can't be my friend. Ever have that happen? Sure you have. You'll have it happen again. But it didn't bother Jesus at all. He kept focused and centralized and kept healing and delivering. And, and the people were coming to him in droves and decapitals. We read the scripture. Verse 12, Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, I'm sorry. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days. Now, if you read the feeding of 5,000, they were only with him one day. They stuck with him one day. On the feeding of the 4,000, they've hung around with him for three days. That's how hungry they were. That's why they wanted to stay with him. Every time that I do a revival, and it's hard to get it done, and I tell the church, it's okay to pick a starting day, but don't pick an Indian day. Don't put on our revival is going to go from the first to the seventh, because it might be that the Lord may want to do something on the eighth, and y'all done last. Trust me. The disciples said to him, where would we, let me back up a little bit. I feel compassion on the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. There ain't no theology there, folks. I hate to admit it, but if you're wanting to hear some deep stuff, all Jesus is worried about is somebody's hungry and he wants to give them something to eat. Don't try to dig that thing around and make it sound uh, ecumenical or whatever. It's just, he just wanted to help. I have compassion on him. And the disciples said to him, where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place, which it was, to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus does something different here than he did with the feeding of the 5,000. In the feeding of the 5,000, there was a little boy there that had five and two. Now, Jesus turns to the apostles, his followers, and he said, let me ask, how much food you got? What do you got in your pocket? And then add in your pocket. I was watching television the other day about that three pigs thing, you know, the huff and the puff and the blow. Anybody see that television ad for somebody's got COPD and there's a wolf out there? See, they're still selling that ad. I don't know why I said that. That just came to my mind. <laughs> How many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And I imagine Peter said to John, what do you think he wants to know that for? We better eat fast. <laughs> so he's going to do the same thing for us he did to that boy. You hungry, John? Been here three days. I'm starved to death, and this bread's beginning to mold. And, you know, it was Benjamin Franklin that said after three days, country, company, relatives smell like fish. So a little bit like this. Not really. How many loaves do you have? And they said seven and a few small fish. What did the boy with the five have? Two fish. We don't know if they were as long as my left leg or as long as my hand. But now here, for some reason, it's important to say they've got seven loaves and two and several small fish. Fascinating scripture. Don't miss it. It'll blow you away. So, yeah, I figured last night, how can you memorize five and two and seven and a few? That's kind of like the kids, right? Five and two, seven and a few. So they got seven and few. 
little fish, small fish. Isn't it interesting that Matthew and Mark pick up that this is small fish? And he, deli- and he decided, and he uh, directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. I love that. I really love that, Robin, because he made them feed the people that nobody liked. He made them get close to the people that nobody knows. You know, long before I ever heard of Lone Star, long before I ever knew that Clifton Forge or Covington was on the map, when I was in Bible college, guys were sang in a concert choir, baritone, good singer, tall, handsome, good looking, just like you. <laughs> Girls were just going, <laughs> and we were on concert tour coming across through here and one of the first places we had to sing was in Winchester and in Waynesburg. I'm glad you're here. What's your name? DJ. Perfect. I learned a lesson then about Christian people. We sang at a Christian church in Waynesburg and a Christian church in Winchester and then went on east. But we had to stop Mike in both towns. We had two boys that sang in the baritone section with me. They were African-American boys. And we had to leave them outside of town. Isn't there something wrong with that? There are tens of thousands of World War II men out there are trying today to accept the Japanese. There are thousands of people who have had marriages go down the hole, and they're trying to accept somebody else who, maybe this time it'll work out okay. We're all the time trying to sort through things, and it is so important. Josie was right this morning, Sunday school class, that we love each other. So important that we love each other. And I asked the director of the choir, Roy Kerner was his name, I said, Roy, why did you leave those two boys outside of town? He said, Don, come here. It's the color. The color. I don't know how many times in my life I have been ostracized against because of maybe my height when I was a little guy and they lined all the kids up in school for the first grade and second grade pictures. I was the tallest guy in the class. You know what that thing is in what school all the time? And so they made me get up there at the very end and stand and I was by myself. So, and my name was Young, which meant I had to wait all the way to the end, be the last person. And I felt so intimidated. I felt so tall and so stupid. And probably young people, I was 40 years old before I didn't mind being tall. Until then, I felt like it was a handicap. You're tall. You ever feel that way? Yeah. There's always somewhere somebody is going to put us down for where we are. And here's Jesus, who just like a workhorse, who's got his harness on and has got his blinders on, and he don't care who is saying what, he's going right into the pits of hell at that time, knowing full well that in a couple of hours he's going to get back on the boat, sail across the sea, and land on the other side to everybody who's going to cheer and 
dragging back because they like him, but they don't like them. Five and two, seven and a few. I'm not done. There's another little key here and you need to pick up. And, and if, if you don't know the meaning word, you know, if I were to tell you I'm going to take a drink of water and I'm going to tell you how much water I'm going to drink, if I say I'm going to use a thimble or I'm going to use a cup or a glass or a bucket or a container or a barrel or all volume, there's a volume word in here. <coughs> They all ate, verse 37, and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces. Seven, if you have your Bibles with you, what's the next word? Seven, large. That's a descriptive word. The baskets that are mentioned in the feeding of the 5,000 that all four Gospels cover talk about a basket that a girl would carry flowers in. It's a descriptive word. The basket here is actually a hamper, one with handles on the side that it's going to take two men or two women to carry. I didn't know that. I had to learn that. So here Jesus goes into a place, and he feeds this 4,000, who knows how many more, and they pick up enough to fill seven baskets that were actually seven hampers that would have taken couple men or a couple women for hamper to carry them. And all I want to say is, wow. <laughs> wow. I think I've told the story before here when Brenda and I first began. We began in the church in Cincinnati. That was, Actually, we started in a small country church for a year. I was youth minister and music minister. And we went to a church in Cincinnati, Lachlan Christian, that was running about 600, and I had several choirs several combos in the church to work with. And, and uh, I got all excited, and I wanted to go across into Lincoln Heights, which was African-American. And I did, and oh, I was so excited. We were going to have a whole busload of African-American kids come in there. And I sat before a whiteboard. And they said, we need to tell you something since you're on staff. <laughs> I felt like I was in the staff. We don't want them here. Don't go over there anymore. I read this week. It's funny. It was, people keep stuff through you. From Sometimes I wish I could go back to grade school and start over again, go through the whole process. Learn two plus two, three plus three, right on down the line. And I was just reading this past week about a man named Lemuel Haynes. Born in 1753. That's a long time ago. In the East. Dug up from where you're from. And he happened to have a mother who was a young white woman who got pregnant from a young African-American slave. So we have a name for that. And what they did, they, they, at five months old, they took this lovely little boy and sold him to a farm couple who had a farm there and he was then to be what was called an indentured slave until he reached an older age. This couple who took care of this little mixed boy 
loved him, and, and they took him to church, and he became a good Christian, and he grew up, and he wanted to go into ministry, and he became very smart. To make a long story short, in 1803, he was decorated to be the first African-American in American history to receive a college degree and be ordained into the ministry. And he pastored almost exclusively all white churches and was one of the leading, he was a leading advocate. As soon as he got to the age of his indentured slavery situation, he, en he enlisted in the Minutemen. I didn't know that we had 5,000 black men fighting with the Minutemen. I thought they were all white. I never saw a black one there. I didn't know that there were also several thousand Jewish men who were fighting with the Minutemen. I didn't know that much of the money that George Washington got to, to fund the war against Great Britain came from wealthy Jewish investors in New York City. I want to say, why wasn't I taught that in the fifth or the sixth or the seventh or the eighth or in high school or in college? We just kind of kept that under a bucket. Jesus said, no, I am going to decapitalis. If you don't like it, it's not in your Bible, but it should be, stick it. I'm going to decapitalis. I don't care if you don't like them. I don't care if you don't like their color or, or their position in life. If they're poor, I don't care if they're drug addicts. I don't care if alcohol has captured them. I don't care if their marriages have gone down the hole. I don't care who they are or what they are. I'm going to be obedient to my Father who sent me that all men might hear the sweet message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know who he sends that also to? You and me. Whether we like it or not. My dad had a very simple way when I was your age of discipline. Well, he didn't live till I was your age, but about but your age. He just said, sit down and shut up. <laughs> sit down and shut Five words. And I thought, well, who are you? Tell me. So one day, when he said, sit down and shut up, I used one word. Why? Never should have used that word. I never knew a man his size could beat a boy my size so bad. I, I had every right in the world to an attorney, but there weren't no attorneys to get. And he didn't care. He beat me within an inch of my life. Don't you ever, when I tell you to do something. And the Lord said, I want you to go into all the world, teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. Feeding of the 5,000, the little boy had five loaves. Even one of the writers said barley bread. We used to sit in seminary and argue, was it barley or was it wheat? And then what's that got to do with salvation? Was it barley or was it wheat? It five loaves, two fishes. But then a few weeks later, Jesus is in Decapolis, where they didn't want him to go. He's in downtown Nowheresville. He's in the slum section where the motors are hanging in the trees and there's all kinds of barbecue grills out in the yard. He's there where there's a lot of street fighting going on and gangs every day and night. And he's doing the same thing. This time, there's seven loaves and a few. The only thing I want you to remember today is five and two or seven and a few. And he turned seven loaves 
in a few little fish into a miracle in a place that nobody wanted him to be. So I say to you, if you're visiting today, you go to another church, that's great. I wish you were here. But if you're there, that's okay. If your church isn't diverse, get out. And if we don't become diverse and remain diverse here, then I say to Lone Star, get out. Go somewhere else. Because the day that we let the gospel drop beneath the sweet command that it has, we have missed the point. Amen. And Jesus came back across, and sure, he was back home now. He was with his own. Only three times did the capitalists mention in the Bible. Only Matthew and Mark would talk about it. You know why? Discrimination existed then. Strong discrimination existed then. One of my favorite stories, and I'll close this, is Billy Graham. Billy Graham, when he was climbing to the peak of being the world's greatest evangelist, in 1952 was holding a crusade in Mississippi. And it was in Mississippi that he spoke out about our need in this nation to love each other, red, yellow, black, and white. If we don't love each other, red, yellow, black, and white, then for God's sakes, quit teaching our kids to sing it on the edge of a step in some Sunday school somewhere. He left there a year later and went to Chattanooga, Tennessee, held a great crusade in Chattanooga. First night of the crusade, Mr. Graham came in with his team and walked upon the platform. He noticed that all the black section was broke off. Broke. So while the music was doing everything that the music would normally do in the crusade, he slipped off the platform himself, by himself, much like a Nehemiah when he left Artaxerxes and went back to Jerusalem. And he went down and he went to the head usher at the Chattanooga crusade and he said, would you please take down the ropes? And the head usher said, no. And Mr. Graham, who had a reputation to be very kind, also was very big. He got mad and lost his cool. He said, no problem. And he tore the ropes down himself. The man who was to be the speaker of the night in front of about 70,000 people tore the ropes down himself. And the head usher got mad and spit at him and quit. <laughs> so I wonder who could walk in the door that would cause you and I to get up and go home. It scares me. I have prejudice too. I'm just like you. I have people that bug the living daylights out of me. But I've got to watch. Most important thing is to be like Jesus. Father, help us to realize that the most important thing that we can do, first of all, is to ensure that we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And then help us, Lord, to be able to carry that message by, first of all, how we live. Let us say what we need to say, Father. 
but don't let us say to people outside of the church what we think about salvation before we live it. Because you know, Father, they're going to watch us before they listen to us. So help us to be dead on serious and carry that message. Forgive us of our sins. And right now, Father, in the sweetness and the quietness of this hour, I ask that you would help anyone here who needs a decision-making event in their life that they would allow that to take place. If it's to accept you as their personal savior, if it's for healing, if it's for anything. Lord, I thank you for these young people to my right. Help us to be deserving of their presence. And we'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.